Well, we're studying our, our studies in Revelation. We ended last week with the intermission between the sixth and seventh seal. We saw that John sees the calling of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists and seals them from protection in order they might evangelize the world. Even though God's pouring out his wrath on the earth, multitudes will be saved during this time, again through the blood of Christ, exactly how it happens today. The Bible says, Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if we want to have a relationship with God the Father, it's the same now as it was 2,000 years ago as it will be during the tribulation through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. No other way to have that relationship without that. John also sees the wiping away of tears from those who have been martyred. So now we come to the chapter eight. And chapter eight is basically the beginning of the seventh seal. The seventh seal is actually the unfolding of the next set of uh, judgments, the trumpet judgments. So when he opens the seventh seal, in that seventh seal are seven trumpets. So that's the, the uh, next judgment that's the, about to fall on the earth. The wrath of God is now going to increase in intensity and scope. You know, you think about the, the seals, how bad they were. And now the trumpets are gonna happen and they're gonna be worse. And then after that, the bold judgments are gonna be worse than that. So now we're looking, let's look back at the beginning of chapter six. We see the, the, the intermission, the seals. In Revelation chapter seven, verse two, it says, I saw another angel coming down from the east carrying the seal of the living God. This is the seventh seal. And what we saw last week is God says, now wait, don't open it yet. I'm gonna show you this vision, which was chapter seven. And now that chapter seven's open, he says, okay, now you can open the seal in verse in chapter eight, verse one, it says, when the lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence throughout heaven for about a half an hour. Now for the seal to be broken, that means that's the final seal and whatever is in the scroll can now be read because up to this point, the scroll was still sealed with the last seal and now the seventh seal is broken, the scroll opens and all of a sudden, all the music, worship and praise stops. Dramatic pause to get heaven's attention. Dr. John Wolvert, he was a great eschatology professor. He says he equates this to the reading of a verdict in a jury trial. When the jury comes back and the foreman hands his thing to the judge and the whole room is quiet because they want to hear what the judge is saying. And he says that's what this is going to be like. Now that the scroll is open, all of heaven is quiet because they want to hear what's next. They realize the seriousness of this and they become silent for about a half an hour. Now remember, the scroll had writing on both sides and until all the seals were open, we couldn't read the contents of the scroll. So the last seal is broken, the scroll is open and the seventh seal introduces now the seven judgments that are coming from the trumpets. Verse two says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God and they were given seven trumpets. It doesn't say this, but perhaps the opening of the scroll and seeing all the things that are written in the scroll is what caused the silence. They saw what's coming. And if you see all this devastation that's coming, you get quiet. The seals and trumpets and bowls 
don't happen simultaneously. And some people teach they happen all at the same time. We believe that there are succession. You have the seals. When they're done, you have the trumpets. And when they're done, you have the bowls. So they're done in succession. So the, seventh tr- the seven trumpets are now following what we've heard about in the seven seals. Now, in the Old Testament, the trumpets symbolized several things. The first thing they symbolized was the calling together of God's people. In Numbers 10, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Make two trumpets of beaten silver to be used for summoning the people to assemble and for the signaling of breaking camp. When both trumpets were blown, the people will know that they are to gather together before you at the entrance of the tabernacle. So you have the trumpets that are calling God's people together. The second thing they announce is war. In chapter 10, verse 9 in Numbers, it says, When you arrive in your own land and go to war against your enemies, you must sound the alarm with these trumpets so the Lord your God will remember you and rescue you from the enemies. The thing that, another thing that trumpets sounded were they sounded the alarm of judgment coming. In Joel chapter 2, it says, Blow the trumpet in Jerusalem. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. Trumpets also symbolize God's victory. In Joshua 6.16, it says the seventh time around when priests were sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. So when John hears the Lord at the beginning of Revelation, his voice sounds like a trumpet. If you look at Revelation 1.10, It says, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And then Revelation 4.1, again, it says, after I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had heard speaking to me like that of a trumpet. Sounding seven trumpets would certainly announce a declaration of war, God's judgment, getting God's people's attention and that the God was about to judge all his enemies. And verse 3 in Revelation 8 continues and says, Then another angel with a gold incense burner and came and stood at the altar. And a great quantity of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people, to be offered on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of the saints ascended up to God from from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Now we read earlier, a few weeks ago, that heaven has a throne, and heaven has a sea, or a laver, as the Old Testament called it. Both of those are references to the Old Testament tabernacle. And remember how God told Moses to build it. In Exodus 25, 9, he says, you must make this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the plans I will show you. And then if you look at Hebrews, it tells us a little bit more about that. Hebrews 9, 24 says, For Christ has entered into heaven itself to appear now before the God of our advocate. He did not go into the earthly place of worship. For what? That was merely a copy of the real temple in heaven. So what we're seeing here is they're duplicating the Old Testament in perfect form in heaven. It's the earthly tabernacle was just a type of what heaven was going to be like. And we see the, the prayers of God's people are important to God. The reason we pray up front is because our prayers are important to God. Go back to our verse, it says, and a great quantity of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people, to be offered on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of the saints 
ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. God may not answer your prayer right away, but it doesn't mean he forgets your prayer and doesn't mean he just throws it away. The Lord's Prayer, what's it say? God's kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayers that are in these things right now, God is going to answer them. The tribulation saints who were martyred prayed for God's vindication. How many of you read the Psalms and you see these Psalms are praying for God's judgment to pour upon people? How many read those songs or the Psalms going, yeah, do that now? (laughs) Well, here's a new term for you. It's new to me. The term is called imprecatory. And that means when Old Testament saints are praying for God's judgment, that's an imprecatory prayer. But it's not an expression of personal vengeance, but cries for God to uphold his law and vindicate his people. David wasn't praying for God to judge him because David wanted God to judge him. David wanted God's name to be vindicated amongst those who were blaspheming it, so that's why he prayed those type of prayers. Here's a sampling. There's a, there's a ton of them, but here's a few. Psalm 7, verse 6 says, Arise, Lord, in anger. Stand up against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, my God, and what? Bring justice. They want, he wants God to be vindicated. He wants everyone around them to see God doing the work and God getting the credit. Psalm 35, 1. O Lord, oppose those who oppose me. Declare war on those who are attacking me. Man, you just want to pray that, don't you? But the Bible in the New Testament, what's it say? Love your enemy. Pray for those who despitely persecute you. Ah, man, I like these prayers better. (laughs) Psalm 35, 8 says, So let sudden ruin overtake them. Let them be caught in the snare they have set for me. Let them fall to destruction in the pit they have dug for me. Psalm 55, 9, destroy them, Lord, and confuse their speech, for I see violence and strife in their cities. These are the prayers that are now God's answering. All these prayers for God to vindicate himself, to bring judgment on people so that God's name is vindicated. Now God's hearing those prayers, and now God is gonna answer them. If our prayers for justice are heard, and we pray that, how much more are our prayers for God's grace and mercy and healing and reconciliation are to be heard? What Jesus desires above everything, and we said it many times, is for people to be saved. That's that's his number one mission. And if he hears our prayers for justice and healing, don't you think you'll hear our prayers for salvation? And you think about it. We pray for God to work. And I've said this before. We pray for God to do miraculous things and it's a blessing to us when he does that. But more importantly, other people see what God's doing in our lives and they wanna know, how did you get that? How did, how, did, how did you get healed? How did your family get reconciled together? How did you get that blessing? It's always meant 
as an introduction to share the gospel. Every time that someone was healed and for Jesus, what's the first thing they wanted to do? They wanted to go tell somebody, right? And Jesus said, don't tell them yet. Don't tell them yet. But we want to say now what God's doing for us. And when people hear, man, God is doing this. The reason I got saved, and I think maybe some of you know this, maybe you don't. I went to church three years in a row because my wife went. I wasn't a Christian. Everyone thought I was, but I wasn't. I was a nice guy, talked to everybody, but I wasn't a Christian. Then hardship came in our family, and there was a lady in our church at the time who was in a wheelchair suffering from cancer. But she, was the, she had the most joy of anyone I've ever talked to. And I'm like, I don't know what it is, but whatever she's got, I want that. I don't know, you know, you can't explain it to me how she, while suffering, had joy. Man, I, whatever it is, I want that. That's what God wants to do through us. God wants people to see us whether it's hardship or blessing, they want to see what God's doing and how we react to that. And they want to know what it is. And they're going to want it. And the only way they're going to experience it is by coming to Christ. And then when the light bulb goes off in their head, they say, I get it, I get it now. That's what our job is. And then we pray, God hears those prayers, and he's going to answer them. Verse five goes on and says, then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth. And thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. So he's taken up the prayers, mixed with the incense, hurling it down on earth. The same fire on the altar that makes the incense and prayers acceptable to God is now taken out and poured on the earth. In answer to the prayers that are in the incense. The language here is used as very similar to when God revealed himself at Mount Sinai. Exodus 19:16 says, "On the morning of the third day, there was a powerful thunder and lightning storm, and a dense cloud came down upon the mountain." Verse 18, "The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain shook with a violent earthquake." Thunder and lightning has always been used to show God's judgment on sinners. First Samuel 2:10. Those who fight against the Lord will be broken. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. For Samuel 7, but the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. Psalm 18, the Lord thundered from heaven and most high gave a mighty shout. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies. His lightning flashed and they were greatly confused. Psalm 77, your thunder roared from the whirlwind like the lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. So I imagine that the people of Mount Sinai had the same reaction that is gonna happen when that happens on earth, which was what? Verse 16, and the people trembled. You think about the fire that's gonna come down. Verse six goes on and says, then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. So your silence is over, the half an hour is over. Intermission is seven, chapter seven's over. And now God is about to pour his wrath upon the earth. 
And the prayers of God's people are now involved in that judgment. The throne and the altar have always been related. How many have heard this sentence? The purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. When you pray, how many know that God doesn't change his mind, right? He wants us to pray. He wants us to trust him to answer those prayers. When you have little kids and you go to the store, you take them to the store with you, which is a mistake, by the way. <laughs> you take them to the store and, you know, the stores, they all set the grocery store, set up the, the nasty stuff right at child's eye level. So they, you know, they want that. And when they go to the store, they always ask for something. And maybe you want to buy it, maybe you don't. And you wait to see how much they nag you about it. If they ask you once and forget it, you don't buy it for them because they're not bugging you for it. But if they really keep begging you and they keep asking you for it and they really are really nice about it and they're asking you for it, then maybe you buy it for them. I think God wants to see how serious we are in asking him for our needs. Is it just a once and then I'll forget it? Or is us, the woman the unjust judge, do we keep coming to God because it really matters to us that God answers his prayer? We want to get God's will done on earth. What's God's will? People to be saved. We want God's will done on earth. And sometimes it means judgment to get God's will done on earth, unfortunately. And so now it begins in verse 7. It says, the first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. All these things you're gonna hear from the trumpets all harken back to the Egyptian plagues or always a variation of those type of plagues. Exodus 9.23 says, when Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, the Lord set thunder and hail and lightning flashed to the ground. Now the Bible doesn't elaborate on how, you know, what mixed with blood means and I couldn't really find any commentary that does either so I'm just going to let it stand the way it stands. It's mixed with blood. But it also reminds us of Joel's prophecy in, in the book of Acts. Joel 2, 30. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And that same prophecy is repeated in the book of Acts. It says, Acts 2, I will show wonders in the heaven and, the, and above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. The blood's one thing. Let's focus on what it's actually destroying. The Bible says it's destroying one-third of all green vegetation. A third of the entire fruit-growing trees. Verse 7 says, a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, when, they, when the Bible uses the word trees, it usually refers to fruit trees rather than just, you know, evergreens and oaks. So one third of all the fruit trees and all the green grass is burned up. What happens when all the grass is burned up on a hillside? 
mudslide. So you, now you have no pasture for any of the animals to graze, so you don't have any meat. You don't have any of the vegetation, that's all gone. Now you cut off all the food supply for the animals, even the wild animals. So what's going to happen with the wild animals? They're going to be looking for something to eat. And guess who that's going to be? You, me. Well, not us because we won't be here, but people. But God says it only happens on a third of the earth. Why not, all, why not do it all? Because a third gives a warning to the people that are here. God wanting them to repent. Before everything is destroyed, God's giving people a time to repent. If you're alive and you're seeing all these things happen, rather than shaking your fist at God, God wants you to come to him to be protected from this stuff. Sometimes it takes a tragedy to point people to God. Now many times that tragedy doesn't stick. They come to God for a moment and then they they leave when the tragedy's over. But sometimes it does. Sometimes tragedy gets people's attention and it sticks. And God's using this to get people's attention so they will turn to him. He could have wiped them all out. Why not wipe them all out at one time? Because he doesn't want to wipe them out. He wants people to have a chance to come to him. Verses 8 and 9 says, Then the second angel blew his trumpet, and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. And one-third of the water in the sea became blood, allowing one-third of all things living in the sea to die. And one-third of all the ships on the sea were destroyed. Now the NIV and the King James use the wording, like a great mountain, The commentaries I read equate this with either a fiery meteor or an asteroid combined with combustible gases hitting the earth. If you watch those old movies, uh, uh, Asteroid or any of those ones, you know, Andromeda, whatever those movies were big asteroids were going to hit the earth and devastate the earth, that's what they're talking about. Was thrown indicates that it was thrown from above. It wasn't something that happened on the earth Something came down from the sky, was thrown onto the water. It may be a natural phenomenon, but not accidental. It's a divine judgment and divine timing from God. One third of the sea becomes blood, and one third of the animals in the sea die. Again, just like the plagues in Egypt. Now, whether the water becomes blood or water is filled with blood of the animals, from the loss of life or from the people that die on the water, it doesn't say. We assume that God turns it to blood. But again, it doesn't say, so we're not going to speculate. Speculate. I mean, look, look what's happening now with the food, the supply chain. All the ships that are docked out there not delivering stuff. And all the stuff that we're not getting. And that's nothing compared to what's going to happen. My wife and I have been watching this series called Disasters at Sea. It's like a little hour-long recreation of ships that have sunk for whatever reason. And these are huge, I mean, massive ships with all these cargo containers on them. And, and you look at just nature. Nature will just wipe anything out. You know, the biggest ship out there, no match to what nature or God can do in the sea. 
But the loss of these ships now is gonna devastate the world commerce that's out there. The loss of seafood, you guys like seafood? Ain't gonna have any. And because of that, the famine will continue to grow. How many ships do you think are on the sea at any one time? A bunch, right? I, I, just, I find an image. All those little dots, red and green dots, those are all ships at any one time on the ocean. Look at that. I couldn't believe it. It's like, like ants. Well, the Bible says one-third of those are going to be destroyed. Imagine the loss of life on those ships. The U.S. Navy alone has 430 active ships with about 346,000 people on those ships. And one-third of those will be destroyed. So 100,000 people just on the U.S. Navy ships. And then all all those ships. That's the first trumpet, or the second trumpet. Verse 10, then the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great flaming star fell out of the sky, burning like a torch. It fell upon one-third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was bitterness. It, was ma- it made one-third of the water bitter, and many people died because the water was too bitter. The first judgment was on salt water. This judgment is now on fresh water. Again, this could be a meteor or asteroid, and maybe it breaks apart upon re-entry and hits all the freshwater reservoirs. And again, one-third of all the fresh water will be gone. And the Bible says that the waters were so bitterly polluted that the drinking water of that time will kill you. Now, many other translations use the worm that you may, word you may be familiar with, wormwood. NIV says the name of the star is Wormwood. And the name word Wormwood literally means undrinkable. And in the, New, in the Old Testament, that word was synonymous with sorrow and great calamity. Jeremiah 9.15 says, Therefore, this is what the, Lord's, the Lord of hosts says, the God of Israel. Behold, I will feed them, this people, with Wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. Jeremiah 23.15, Therefore, Thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, behold, I'm going to feed them wormwood and make them drink poisonous water. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, pollution has gone forth into the land. In Deuteronomy 29, make sure there was no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose hearts turn away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of these nations. Make sure there is no root of, among you that produces such bitter poison, or again, the word is wormwood. National Geographic Society says there are about 100 principal rivers in the world. One-third of all those rivers, all those drinking waters that we get will be poisoned. And it may even affect, I mean, it says all water. So that's well water, that's river, that's lakes, freshwater lakes. And it seems that people will be so thirsty that they're going to drink from this water anyways and die. What's that sound like? You're stranded in the ocean, dying of thirst, and the only thing around you is salt water. You know you can't drink it, but because you become so thirsty, you drink it anyway. It's funny, we were talking about that in youth today. Um, 
talking about how drinking salt water will kill you. Don't know how that topic came up, but it, it came up. Now the Bible says one third, it's not an exact measurement. It's meant to show that God hasn't destroyed everything yet, but to warn us that it's coming. And the people that are alive need to repent before the rest of it comes. Verse 12 says, and the fourth angel blew his trumpet and one third of the sun was struck and one third of the moon, one third of the stars and they became dark. And one third of the day was dark and one third of the night also. Again, darkness is a symbol of God's judgment. He sent darkness to Egypt. The sky turned dark when Christ was crucified. And again, many Old Testament references that indicate darkness as God's judgment. Joel chapter two, let everyone tremble in fear because of the day of the Lord is upon us. It is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. Amos 5.18, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. So if there's a third less sun, what's that mean for the temperatures? Drop. A third less moon, does that mean a third less gravitational pull of the moon? And we know how the gravitational pull, pull of the moon affects tides and flooding. So if there's no gravitational pull, there's gonna be massive flooding. Verse 13, and then I looked up and I heard a single eagle crying loudly as he flew through the air. Terror, terror, terror to all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. So there's a slight pause for the first three, or the first four, and we've seen that devastation. God is allowing people time to come to know him. But during that time, most people are gonna shake their fists at God. How often do we hear people who don't acknowledge God for anything, the minute that something bad happens, why did God let it happen? In other words, they're blaming God for what happened. So John hears a noise, he looks up and he sees an eagle. Some versions say eagle. The same word for eagle is also used to mean vulture, so it could be one or the other. Vulture, we know, is another symbol of God's judgment. So the eagle's flying around, screaming to the people on the earth, terror, terror, to all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. He's, he's saying to the folks, if you think the first four were bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's nothing compared to what's coming. But he also clarifies to, who he's, to whom he's talking. He says, to all who belong to this world. This is directed to those who are still alive for themselves, who live for themselves and the things of the world rather than the things of God. These are the people that are shaking their fists at God. He's saying, all of you who belong to this system, all of you who are trusting in yourself, all of you who haven't asked God to forgive you, this is what, now is what's gonna happen to you. You think it's bad now? It's gonna be worse for these last three trumpets. What follows will not be God's judgment using nature as the weapon, 
But now God's gonna unleash Satan to do his bidding on the earth. You know, I've said it before, and you're probably sick of hearing it. But when we're looking at what's coming, either for our, it could be our generation. I mean, if Jesus comes back today, people our age, my age, will be here. Or maybe Jesus doesn't come back for 50 years. So that's your generation, or your kid's generation, or maybe your grandkids' generation. We need to remember two things. God doesn't want any people to be here for this tribulation. God's given everyone enough time to come to know him. Second Peter 3, 9, our, our verse we use all the time. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, the rapture, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish. So he's giving more time for everyone to repent. But there's gonna come a time where God says, that door's closed. The last person is gonna get saved, that's it. Now I'm returning. We don't know when that is, the Bible says nobody knows when that is. But we know that it's gonna be here. There's gonna come a cutoff point. Whenever that cutoff point is, we need to be about God's business making sure that no one is here for that. The second thing we need to know is that that day is gonna come. Whether you think it's gonna come or not, God's timing is not gonna be up to us. And at that time, our ability to help other people will be gone. And I mentioned before, I don't have the scriptures again, but If you hear the gospel now, and you don't get saved now, you will not get saved after the rapture. The Bible says that God sends a delusion that they believe the lies of the enemy during the tribulation. Now the verse right after that one we just read that God's giving more time to repent, the next verse says, but the day of the Lord will come as, as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens, heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and everything in them will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. We're here. We have time. We want to be sure of two things, that, that we're ready, that we're living right. The Bible says that you, you anticipate the return of Christ means you've got to live right. You know, when the, if you knew the thief was coming to your house to break in, you, you wouldn't you'd be ready. So we want to be ready when Christ comes back. And that's why I was telling the kids today, and said, you, you know, you guys are young, but God could still come back today, and you're old enough that you need to know where you stand. You need to be ready. And I said, if, if, it doesn't, if God doesn't come back until after I'm gone, you still need to be ready. Everything you're learning now, you need to be ready when that time comes. That's why churches exist. Why threefold mission of a church? Worship God, build up the body of believers, evangelize the world. That's why every church exists. God answers prayer, God does great things, 
And he does all those things for two reasons, to bring honor to his name and so that people see that and they want to know that same God. Man, that God healed you? I want to know that God. Or, again, I know the struggles you're going through, but yet you still love God? Why? And you get to tell them. And you know what? As Diane said, people are looking. People want the supernatural. When I was in Florida, get the, get the, get the queue up, the cat thing. When I was in Florida, you can't swing a dead cat and not hit a tarot card reader or a palm reader in Florida. They were everywhere. There was, a, and there was an organization in the town I lived in called the Witches of Delray. People want the supernatural. And they're looking everywhere but where the supernatural is. That's why we want to show them the real supernatural of what God can do. Amen? Amen. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? You know, I told you I sat in church for three years. Everyone thought I was a Christian. Sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian. Sitting in church doesn't give you a right relationship with God. It helps you, but it doesn't give it to you. You gotta choose it. All that to say this, you may be sitting in a church, this church or any church, but not ever have a relationship with Christ. You can be going through the motions, people think you're a great guy, but if you don't have a relationship with Christ, none of that matters because you're not gonna make the rapture. When Jesus blows a trumpet and we're called up to be with him, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're not going to make it. And you will be here for these seven horrible years. And if you don't get saved now, because you're hearing the gospel now, you won't get saved then. And maybe for some reason, someone sees this recording who's never heard of the gospel during the tribulation, they can get saved. And God wants them to get saved. Even though they experienced seven years of horrible things, it's still better than eternity in hell. Help us, Lord, to be about your business. If you're here this morning and you've, you're that churchgoer, maybe you go all the time, maybe you go sporadically, but you think that you go to church and, and that's what's gonna keep you. It's not it. Relationship with Christ is what God wants. Everything follows that. If you've never come to a point in your life where you realize that you're a sinner, that you need Christ to forgive you, that the sacrifice of Christ was actually meant for you and he took it for you. If you've never really repented of those sins, in other words, turned around the other way and said, Lord, I'm not living that way anymore because I love you and I believe you, you took that penalty from me. If you've never done that, you can't look at a day in your life where you look back and on August of 1986, I did this. If you don't have that date, 
And the Bible says you might not know Christ. And if that's you and you want to make sure, you want to be sure. The Bible says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. If you want to know for sure, then I want you to raise your hand because I'm going to pray with you and introduce you to Christ. All right, I'm going to assume that all of us are committed followers of Christ. Father, we, just, we come to you now at the end of this service and we thank you for what you continue to do in our lives every day. We thank you that you took time with us. You sent people to us. You sent situations our way, all designed to get our attention so that we would come to you for forgiveness. And we are so grateful that you did. And Lord, we also bank on the word that tells us that there are great and precious promises there. That while we live this Christian life, your word has promised us things. And if we prayed for them today, we pray that you would continue to do miraculous things. Bring healings, bring deliverance, bring reconciliation. Provide our needs. All these things, Lord, we just commit to you that we really have no control over. We just thank you for them and we commit them to you and trust you that you will do everything you need to do. And Lord, as we leave this morning, I pray that you would fill us so much with the Holy Spirit and so much of a burden for those that we love who don't know you, that we will spend much time in prayer. We will do what you've asked us to do. And maybe you'll put us in positions where we can answer somebody else's prayer. We could be that other person that we're praying goes to the friends that we know. Whatever the case is, Lord, we want to be used by you. We don't want to make it to heaven and and see a, a missed opportunity that someone didn't come to Christ because we didn't open our mouth. Lord, and give us that excitement that comes from being able to talk to someone about you and to tell them what you mean to me. Bless us, Lord, as we leave this morning. Allow us to really feel that burden every day and give us the opportunity to use it. So, Lord, I commit each person to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great week. Let me know what God's doing in your life in response to prayer. We want testimonies of that.